that will AI possibly basically unify the different um, nuanced differences between language, um, different languages today? Welcome to the I Am Not a Robot podcast, introducing your host, Dr. Jeremy Ray. In this podcast, we will be exploring the complexities of life with robots and automation. AI has made transformational advancements in recent years and is capable of performing a wide range of tasks that were once exclusive to humans. It is important to recognize that AI and humans possess different strengths and limitations. But what are those strengths and limitations? Please join us as we explore these important questions of our age. Will will AI possibly basically unify the different um, nuanced differences between language, um, different languages today? My name is Greg Duncan. Um, I think it certainly could. I mean, there. I think there are plenty of examples where you know. You know, being an English speaker here, we have plenty of words that come from other languages, you know, French and Italian and Spanish and so forth. And so I think there's a natural um, harmonization or unifying or integration of some parts of languages as they as they kind of self or as they, you know, seed the other populations of, of, of higher concentrations of you know, language users. I don't know. I don't think, I think until there's a, but I think, so I think my position right now would be not likely anytime soon. And here's why. As long as we have people and we have, that are separated by distance, unless there is a single language that's spoken by everybody. So there's the spoken language versus the written language. And then there's the whole human experience side of communication when you're face to face, person to person which has the clear effect on how that language is received or in the way which you vocalize it so there's the intonations of it which which carries a lot of of meaning and so a lot of the meaning isn't necessarily directly or exclusively in the words in the representation of words or knowledge it comes to the experience the experience part of it as a person and so um i think that there's there are limitations to every language and how words what words represent from an experience standpoint and you know i think we've we've i've spoken or listened to many other speakers and they've talked about they're searching for a word and and another thing say there's there's not a word for it in english but it means whatever and they'll give you an explanation so certainly it does i think our language um from a linguistic standpoint it limit it affects how we think. So I think, <laughs> if we can expand or add into the vocabulary with new words, there still has to be a, an, a way to frame it that word in, in an, as an as an experience to the person who's using it and learning from it. So. I don't think it'll be unified or there'll be some, I don't think there'll be any harmonization across all languages anytime soon. Um, but um, yeah, that's just what my belief is. 
what your your response leads into my next question, which is, uh, will you talk, touch on how humans communicate not only through words, but also through tone, gestures, facial expressions, and other nonverbal cues. And our emotional and social intelligence enables us to comprehend and respond appropriately to these subtleties. While AI currently lacks the capacity to fully understand and respond to the emotional and social aspects of human languages, do you think this will change? And if so, how, how do you think that would change? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, that's that's a good point, and you've got me really thinking about <laughs> um, micro expressions as a perfect example. So, you know, there there are there have been some groups, and um, I can't remember the person who really brought the, um, the where I learned about micro expressions, but it was within the last ten years. And so, micro expression for anyone that's not familiar with it, you know, it's that it's that facial response. The you know of reading a person's, what they, you know, their, their experience, like joy, anger, frustration, you know, being dumbfounded. That's a, I love that word. I don't know why it's just such an odd long word. Um, but to that point, you can, if you have a, <clears throat> if you have a visual library, which you could certainly, you know, you have lots of images and you train a, an AI system on the micro expressions across people, across geographies around the world. And then you then train it to, to properly recognize perhaps the person's, what their you know, highest probability of what they might be feeling. Um, that starts to get a little bit concerning um, with global, with, with mass monitoring, not the global, uh, mass monitoring. You, know, you look at um, China, which is cameras everywhere in, in certain parts of its um, um, country in, in a lot of urban areas, and they have these um, citizen ranking scoring systems. So, <laughs> you know, it makes me think of an old movie from, I guess, the late 60s, early 70s um, with Dick Van Dyke, and it was taking place in kind of the heartland of America, and it was um, the, I think this town had lost power for, I don't know, a few days or a week. And it was about what was everyone going to do? And it was this evangelical town and, and there was a scene and I don't know why, cause I was just a kid when I watched it, but it was like a, uh, <clears throat> a sin in thought is a sin in action. What if these systems, and I think this is where some people, you know, if you want to really stretch it, these systems were able to now start interpreting micro expressions um to interpret what our intentionality is which you know um whether we really are going to do anything you know i think we all have these thoughts in our head and we think well, geez i'd sure like to go tell them a piece of my mind you know <laughs> something like that or that person made me so mad or angry so if you're and it may be simply a matter of you're perceived as not being loyal to your leader or to your boss to your military uh unit leader to your social organization, to your church, et cetera. I think, you know, just taking the micro expressions and then if you, now let's say that there's new sensors that are embedded, which can um, start to interpret our brainwaves. And this is something that I know you know quite a bit about, you know, the, 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 the NERFs technology is, it's, you know, it's in its early days here still of being able to interpret emotions. So if you can interpret emotions through some sensors that um, as they, they develop more, more into the future, and you combine that with video imagery, 
real time, I think that the world starts to change, not necessarily in a good way. Yes, um, you touch on some interesting points. Um, you kind of went down a path with that that I wasn't expecting, but it does make sense. I think my biggest complaint about uh, working from home and uh, doing everything via uh, Teams chats is um, many people don't use their video. And I really miss being able to see people's faces and their facial expressions. Um, I think I read somewhere when I was doing my research um, for my dissertation that uh, body language and facial expressions and other gestures are like 80 to 90 percent of communication. Most most communication is nonverbal. And so what you're touching on about being able to sort of quantify the facial expressions is also an interesting um, uh, facet of it as well. Could certainly be used for nefarious reasons. And so that is a concern. Uh, to touch on something a little bit, maybe a little bit more lighthearted or less... Uh, <laughs> you think? Less heavy. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I wanted to ask you about, um, I know you love music. Um, uh, I remember you shown, I think you have uh, a guitar and have played other musical instruments. So I wanted to ask you about um, music and AI. Sure. Um, human musicians such as yourself often collaborate and create synergies through collective creativity um, oftentimes music is building on other others ideas and responding to the energy of the moment especially in a uh, live setting such as uh, you know a live concert this level of collaboration uh, and collaborative interplay and improvisation such as with jazz music is considered challenging for AI systems to replicate authentically and I was wondering uh, if you see the implementation of AI in music as, where do you see that going? And do you see this, uh, it changing um, the creation of music uh, in the future? Yeah, I, that's an interesting one. I don't, I, I'm sure it will, just like auto-tuner suddenly meant that you don't have to have a beautiful voice to be considered a good singer. <laughs> um, so... You know, I, I don't consider myself a musician. I, I kind of I, I cringe at that because I would love to be a musician, uh, but that's I, I'm I can learn. Well, you love music. Um, I love music, though, like I think most people. I, but I don't know that I think that's where the, the the AI today is is perhaps strong. Is that it's able to you know replicate styles. It can perhaps synthesize styles. But I think as someone who likes music, for me, music is about not about perfection. It's not about replicating something. It, it's it's about ex, an experience of listening to something that makes that affects me and my body, and it affects my mood in a way that that can be very wonderful. It can also you know can, you know has a carry a you know like jazz and blues. It can carry with certain carry you as an individual into an emotional space of, of reflect reflectivity or or something else working 
you know, align with a feeling of sadness that you might be going through at a time so you, where you don't feel so lonely because the music is perhaps your, your friend and partner when you don't want to um, talk with that friend or partner who might be near you. I don't know. I, I think in some domains, the future, clearly, we don't know, but I don't listen to music for, for something that's perfect. For me, for me, it's about that human's expression of something that they're experiencing. So um, that's just me. I suspect that a lot of people feel differently. A beat is a beat. A rhythm is a rhythm. And, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Well, you I touched like on, that, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Well, you touched on something, uh, you, 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 you mentioned a point, which I think is important to note is that, um, AI systems are replicating, as far as I know, um, from what I've read about it, they're harnessing uh, existing works and they're, you know, they can recreate uh, a Beatles song or uh, recreate a, a, a Mozart concerto, but they can't necessarily, uh, they're not going to necessarily, uh, at least in the foreseeable future, in my estimation, um, recreate the brand new sound that seems like it could only come from a human. Um, it's one thing to recreate a John Denver song or a, a Paul McCartney song uh, and make it sound like, oh, this sounds like something Paul McCartney would have written. However, when, when Paul McCartney and John Lennon sat down and wrote music together, it was not like anything that had come before them. And that was what was part of the appeal. You know, if you listen to um, uh, a song by, um, you know, Prince or, um, and, you know, it just you can almost name any artist. And part of the appeal to listen to that artist, you know, Taylor Swift or whoever, is that nothing, it sounds nothing like... A, songs you've heard before they have their own style and so if ai is just kind of recreating or mashing up other styles that's very different than an artist who's creating something brand new or whether it's a musician or a painter or a photographer um, and and the way i understand it is it's you know with dolly too it's it's creating realistic original images quote unquote original but the images are are drawn from a, a body of work that already exists. Yeah, yeah, and you know, um, and I, I I think it'll get good enough that some people, you know, you like what you like, and if you're not paying attention to the musician, if it's just a recording, you're listening on to on a podcast or streaming service since or or. For some fewer people, radios, um, you, you won't necessarily care. Um, a sound is a sound. It has an appeal. It has an appeal. But maybe where there's some interesting extensions of it is really around the musicians. They're using it for creation, and I don't mean where they're they're create where the technology is creating the sound. It's, there, it's the technology not executing the sound necessarily. Um, there are the you know there's not a AI musician there, but perhaps where it's being used to extend 
the musical theory itself for the musicians to play and maybe it's it's to create a bridge into some sort of new musical structures that um people just have not yet uh, attempted or 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 tried to create in the you know in a, in a in a way that we've heard before so i think just if we look at it from a scientist standpoint what if what if you know you know looking at einstein as an example what if einstein you know we have these scientists like Feynman and einstein and you've got uh, stephen hawking and they say a lot of the thoughts came to them there's this like these moments of clarity and awareness either they felt that it was just there and it was being told to them in their in their in their slumber or their thoughts in the night or you know it wasn't necessarily something that they just found but it represented a synthesis of something and then it started to become come self-evident but sometimes it really was the inspiration seemed to come from someplace else what if that's something or someplace else we never questioned where it came from there was always attributed to that person and then that person sometimes perhaps alluded or attributed to originating from a higher source you know if you're agnostic a higher power or a god i think it was, they've they've been interpreted in many different ways so but what if that, <laughs> that attribution was just to you know an application that came from an, a generative ai system um, it still takes the musician and the human to bring it into the the realm of experience at least it has historically so maybe that's where there will still be some great applications and some higher levels of appreciation but um yeah i don't know it's an interesting area to kind of you know reflect on well it's interesting that you bring that up because um that reminds me of the wedding song um by uh paul stuckey of uh, peter paul and mary and he um, he attributes the inspiration of coming directly from God, and for that reason, he uh, never any of the money that he made from that song. He I think he donated it to charity, and he didn't. Uh, he turned down a. Uh, a chance to go on uh, one of the, the late night shows um, back in his the career point where he was I think talking about branching out on his own because he didn't feel like he wrote the song he felt like uh, he was inspired directly by God and um, it just kind of made me think about what you were saying about the where does the inspiration come and so I think if the uh, if the if you could harness the power of AI to potentially uh, create inspiration for your creativity, um, make maybe uh, using Chat GPT for example, since we've been talking a lot about Chat GPT, to uh, be the source of inspiration for helping you uh, get going on lyrics, for example. I mean, I'm sure that's already happening. Um, or as other technologies come along, that could help you potentially. Um, get moving with your creative process uh but but not necessarily write the entire song itself or be executing the finished product um uh, this seems like that a possibility um and i'm sure many artists are already doing that yeah you know i i was a big fan of of, of star trek as particularly the enterprise series with you know jean-luc picard 
And it, it, what, what stands out to me, and there are some parallels here, is perhaps if we, perhaps if we look at a lot of this technology, perhaps leading us to a place where, you know, on, at least on the Starfleet ship Enterprise, and they have a computer. And, and it was always so funny, it was like the way that they would uh, prompt the computer with a question. Computer. Please let us please identify any life sustainable planets within 300 light years. <laughs> and so the computer, you know, would run its scans and provide back an assessment of what it what it was able to identify. And I think that's in some ways kind of what we've got right now. The prompts or career were not there in terms of it being embedded within a within a larger, you know, space that we can just walk around and ask the questions out loud when we as humans have a question, but it can certainly support our quest for knowledge and inquiry. It can certainly support our own creative endeavors. If you think of the holodeck, that's just really taking it, you know, extending it and stretching it out there. But I do think that, um, you know, there's some really interesting applications. I think it'll support a lot of research and there'll be a lot of good that comes out of it. Um, I think that there, the applications for work to be used in, in negative ways perhaps brings about some existing challenges that have been long-standing. With misinformation, is not or campaigns are not anything new. You know, conspiracy theories are nothing new. They've been long-standing human problems ever since humans have been around. Uh, people have always tried. You know, there's always been groups of individuals that will try to manipulate or take advantage of others. And governments that are more authoritarian or, you know, wanted to, you know, do something that were being challenged or questioned as to the value. I don't think that's going to change. But what I what I think will, will be interesting here is it might also be used for controlling and moderating and managing a lot of those concerns. So, you know, a tool is a tool. A hammer can be used for building something. It could be used for knocking something down. And um, we have this this knowledge hammer. Um, we have, or uh, in power hammer. I don't know if you've heard of a power hammer. Um, blacksmithing was something I used to really I wanted to get into, and I did a little bit as a hobbyist. But uh, there was a traditional blacksmith. It's got a, you got a nice arm and hammer, and you beat it away as much as your muscles can stand before you're fatigued. A power hammer is just a mechanized hammer, <laughs> which literally has a hydraulic press, and you has a foot pedal, and you step on the pedal. And that hammer will just go 400 beats a minute or 100 beats a minute, however you want, and do all the physical labor the person used to do. It still takes the person to guide the metal and to control the force and how it's used, and um, which affects what you could do with it. Um, it can be really beautiful. You can get the same results in a much shorter period of time. And you can do things at scale that you never could do before and, and build things that really society as a whole benefits from. This concludes the interviews with Dr. Greg Duncan. You're listening to the I Am Not a Robot podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy Ray.